Welcome to the Sacktown Royalty Show. I'm your host, Brad the Geyser, and I'm joined here by two special guests. One may sound familiar. Um, the one I dethroned, Tony Zipteris. How's it going, Tony? I'm doing great, Brad. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. How's life after the podcast? Life is great. I'm sitting here. I'm just talking on a uh, microphone. I don't have to worry about editing or, or uploading or anything. So this is this is my kind of podcasting right now. Oh yeah, that's amazing. Um, yeah, well, I'll learn to hate that in a few minutes. So awesome. And then I'm also here with Richard Ivanowski. How's it going, Richard? I don't know if I said your last name right. I'm not gonna lie. No, you nailed it. You nailed oh, awesome. it. Awesome. And uh, yeah, I'm 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 stoked for for the Brad Geyser era. I think. Uh, you broke the wheel, and we got Brad the Broken on the throne now. I'm excited about it. If I like to think I'm um, Game of Thrones spoilers, I'm the dragon just melting the throne right now. I'm just bringing chaos. Absolutely. Um, from that memorable final season, but yeah. Um, so with Richard here, we have to talk about his last month. I mean, it's been an insane month for a few reasons for him. He's had a few exciting ones, but... Most importantly, outside of getting married, congratulations, is probably getting to do so in a Harry Giles jersey. Am I right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty crazy. I I don't know uh, if you want me to run down the whole thing, but um, yeah, yeah just, I, I mean. Why don't you tell us from like where you got the idea to when you wore the jersey? Cool, yeah. So this basically started because um it was a few weeks before i was leaving to mexico uh for the wedding i was with kate my wife and now and my wife sorry <laughs> I, and uh You're fired <laughs> i can't say my wife like and <laughs> and and take it seriously still so i have to like do the borat voice but uh it's just also new so we uh we were going shopping for me to get a suit and it was like two weeks before the wedding, and I, I just had been putting it off. And um, anyway, I was like stressed out and anxious, and everything. All the plans were all happening so quickly, and uh, we were we were up at actually that um, that Nordstrom's on Arden in the mall there, and that's just where we decided to go that day. And like as you're walking in, if you're coming from inside the mall, you have to walk past like this big Jersey Emporium, and uh, as we were going there, I, I just looked at Kate and I'm like, I wish we were just like, let's just go there. Like I'll, I'll get, I'll find something to wear in that store. And, uh, she was like, no, I would never let you do that. And I'm like, what if I got enough retweets, <laughs> you know, how many retweets would it, would it take? And, uh, she said 10,000. And I think that she messed up honestly, <laughs> because that's like an accomplishable number. I mean, obviously we know now that it, it, was something that I got I was able to get done with the help of all you guys and uh, a bunch of the Kings players and and uh, their social media guys as well but yeah I mean and I, I texted it to her so I could get it in writing and uh, posted that screenshot and Harry saw it like really soon I tagged him in it uh, he saw it really early and so that whole day as I was trying on suits and stuff it just kept blowing up and blowing up and we were <laughs> in the dressing room and like i was like oh uh we're we're already at three thousand, and she was like freaking out but yeah I, I, it just took <laughs> off like really quickly i feel like people yeah under you were talking about that ten thousand, especially with something like this that's just like fun 
there's no harm for anyone retweeting it. So especially in like NBA Twitter, even because it probably went past Sac- Sacramento Twitter, right? It did. Yeah. I mean, Jason Tatum retweeted this. Oh no, I don't think I saw that. That's awesome. Oh. Um, yeah, it's it's really it's like the type of fun thing that everyone's going to participate in. So ten thousand is a lot, but it's not a lot. Yeah, it's a lot, but it's like yeah, like you said, it's not that she if she had known if she was like on Twitter and had more of a bearing, I think she would have gone a hundred thousand. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Harry obviously retweeted it a bunch. Uh, Willie Colley Stein retweeted it, Buddy. Uh, and then some of the the guys from the Kings sent me some some DMs like, "Do you really want us to blow this up?" And I was like, "Yeah, do it." <laughs> um, and then so by the end of the day, when I bought my suit, I got one with a purple lining that matched pretty well. Uh, nice. Then we yeah we went down to the team store. So this is kind of funny or kind of frustrating. I don't know if it's worth talking about, but they didn't have any Harry Giles jerseys in the team store. Yeah, the newest thing is, I think a lot of places, well, especially the NBA ones, are doing custom jerseys and just making them to order now, right? Yeah, and I, I think that's pretty much what it was, and the fact that it's like it was a down season, and you know, they they didn't have a real reason to be fully stocked. Yeah, that makes sense. So I feel like I feel like most stores only have like two players now. That's pretty much what it is. I mean, they've got. If I wanted a fox in any color any size that wouldn't have been an issue and i think bagley as well i think they're doing that so when they trade guys they don't have 1500 jerseys mm-hmm. yeah i noticed like after the boogie trade i was thinking oh okay silver lining i can get a cheap boogie jersey and the kings got rid of those things before the next game started yeah well we did grab a vince carter for kate they uh nice. they, yeah they only had a couple in her size uh, got her, got her Vince card that was on clearance, which I thought was actually awesome because he's such a great dude. Um, and then she actually got pretty okay with it. She she was frustrated at first that it was happening. I think she was just kidding around mostly. And then when we started getting hit up for interviews, and when we were told we we were brought on Good Day Sacramento, and she got very excited to go on TV and got to dress up and all that. So at that point, she was very on board with it. All right, so she did come around, so there's a happy ending. We don't have to worry about where this is headed. No, definitely. She By the end of it, she was really excited about it, and even now she has looked back on it and said that, you know, it's something that made our wedding really special, and, you know, that's the way weddings go, I think, is that you let your wife plan 99% of the details because it just means a little bit more to her, and she's got better style than me. Got, you know, I wouldn't know what flowers to choose or table settings or anything like that, but this got to be like my thing that gave a little bit of my personality to it. And yeah, so at the wedding, uh, the way we did it was I kind of was dressed normally at the time, like standing up there at, I guess, I don't know if you call that an altar or whatever, but it was on the beach in Mexico and we had a Jersey bearer. So it was one of her (laughs) cousin's sons, uh, brought it up with the rings, um, popped it on, for the vows and the kiss and walked back up the aisle and and that was pretty much it the one thing i can really say about this is that harry giles has been insanely cool about it i don't know if you've seen his he like posted on instagram about it a few times and twitter yeah Yeah, he's just been so cool yeah he seems just delightful i love that guy and uh there's i think was it kamani who posted the video of you meeting him and his mom was right there and she was all sweet 
Yeah, I got to meet him this week at the California Classic, and you can't see it on the video because Kamani was um, recording the post-game interviews, but but yeah, Harry came down the tunnel while there was an interview going on with, uh, I believe it was uh, Jesse Mermis, uh, Mermies, the the coach for the G League team, or the, excuse me, the Summer League team, and Harry Giles came down the tunnel, saw me, and I was like, hey man, you know, I was that guy, and like before I could really get it all out, he just comes up and gives me like a big bear hug, which was so sweet, and, uh, and then he, you can hear in the video, he like gestures to his mom, and he's like, this is the groom, mama, and I'm like, the sweetest thing ever, and his mom is there, and you can tell, they're just awesome people, like that's the thing about Harry, let me ask you guys, like, it, it felt obvious to me that Harry was the only choice, right? I mean, I don't think it could have worked out better with anybody else. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a pretty lovable team overall, but Harry is an especially lovable guy on a lovable team. So I have to ask, you said, she probably would have said 100,000. If we pushed that, if we uh, if she had said that and we pushed it enough, do you think you could have gotten 100,000? Man, I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to remember uh, what the dude who got a lifetime of free was it chicken nuggets from yeah, Wendy's? Yeah, chicken nuggets. It was. I'm lot. trying to remember what he asked for. That might have been a million. Which 10 percent of that is still a lot. What was the final number anyway? Do you remember? It died off right after it hit. Yeah. Uh, 10k. I think it's right now. It's probably around like 10, maybe 11. Um, but yeah, once it once you hit the, there's no real incentive for people to keep retweeting it, sure. but. But then, you know, then there's a lot of, you know, favorites and retweets for all the things that Harry has said since. And the picture of me actually in the jersey next to Kate in her wedding dress, that got a lot of love. So I think we probably could have hit 25 if it was, if everyone really put their weight behind it. How is this going to be a running theme throughout your marriage of Kings-based retweets just dictating major life events? It sounds like a good idea to me, man. I'll tell you this, and this is crazy, but... And this isn't my idea whatsoever. I've never brought this up, and I don't even know how to really feel about it. But Kate has continuously asked me if we would want to name uh, our first son Harry if we had a son. <laughs> wow. That's I'm a solid name kidding. regardless. I mean, that's a real <laughs> yeah. strong name. Now, would it be Harry, just Harry, or would it be Harold, um, Hair? I don't know Harrison. if Harry's... Harrison yeah, Harrison, I guess. I was trying to remember what the other one was. I don't know. I, I, I get, this, is her, this is her idea now, so I can't okay. really speak on it too much. But I think at that point, you just go Harry. Maybe yeah. we go maybe go Jizzle, just do off the top, like Jizzle Ivanowski. I, I also like like Bogdan Bogdanovich Ivanowski. It's got a ring to it. Yeah, it actually does sound less ridiculous than it should. I'd just love to see the teacher who has to pronounce that <laughs> that is a lot of syllables it is and kate is actually a teacher herself so she just took my last name and she's already struggling with like how she's going to get kindergartners to to pronounce ivanowski oh yeah that that she'll get all sorts of weird ones it's hard enough to get adults to pronounce a name right i get geezer uh i want to jump in here because richard didn't mention my favorite part out of this whole situation and that <laughs> is I mean, how many NBA players do you think there have been in NBA history? Thousands, right? I don't know. Maybe. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know, I'm going to, off the top of my head, 50,000 players. I'd probably too high. But anyway. Yeah. 30,000, 40,000 okay. probably. Point is, there's been a ton of NBA players in the league. Richard goes to this wedding, destination wedding, right? It, was, it wasn't uh, local. He's in his Harry Giles jersey. There's one other person at that wedding in a jersey. Okay. Yes. That jersey is Joe Dumars. And what was that like? Two days before the Kings hired Joe Dumars? <laughs> yeah, that was ridiculous. You said that was your cousin or your brother or something? 
Yeah, he's my cousin. Yeah. Just uh, he's from Michigan, and he just chose. You know, he he hit me up before. He's like, "Should I bring a jersey?" I'm like, "Absolutely." <laughs> and for whatever reason, I, I'm sure he's got a bunch of Pistons jerseys. He's been a long time diehard Pistons fan out there, and he for whatever reason chose Joe Dumars. Crazy. Yeah, Joe Dumars. Yeah, Joe Dumars. He's a funny. Yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but Joe Dumars is. I think he was kind of the favorite from that team outside of Isaiah Thomas, probably. I mean, yeah, it's a logical choice for a Pistons fan, but just the fact that it all ties together. Oh, yeah. And like two days before the Kings hired this guy out of nowhere, because there was no rumors that Dumars was going to join the front office or anything like that. While we're on it, what do you guys think about that? I mean, I'm on I'm on board. Yeah, he's been here for uh, what, you know, two weeks and the Kings have had their best free agency and. I don't know, a decade plus. And I don't know how much credit to give Joe Dumars to that. I mean, maybe none. Maybe the front office already had all this stuff planned. But they hired him, like, right before free agency really started. And then they made a bunch of solid moves since. So, so far, so good. Again, not knowing what the impact is, but so far, so good. He's such a fascinating story as far as... He kind of reminds me of Petrie, if Petrie had actually won a ring. (laughs) But he reminds me of him in that... He built this amazing league-wide respected team, and then by the end, he built some terrible teams, too. So I don't know if the league just passed Dumars by, or if there was ownership issues, or what, but he's always been a fascinating story to me. Because that Pistons team, when you look back at it, even, it's hard to believe that they were a championship team. Yeah, they definitely were. They're one of the teams that I think people look back on and say, you know, they're one of the lower-ceiling teams to win a ring, but at the same time, yeah, I, I, I'm excited about having a guy in the front office that has championship, has built a championship team in his history. And and like Tony said, you know, I based on his record so far, we we don't know how much he played into the Deadman and Ariza and Joseph and home signings, but certainly seems like there's nothing to knock. I was listening to um, an interview Dumars did with uh, Adrian Wojnarowski. Like he recorded this interview maybe six months ago, uh, but I went back and listened to it after the Kings hired him, and he mentioned how. You know, towards the end of his run with Detroit, he was kind of trying to put some band-aids on a team that just didn't have it anymore. Like you were saying, Brad, how, you know, good moves, win the championship, had a hard time letting go of that championship team. And instead of doing a full rebuild, which he probably should have done, he went and signed Ben Gordon to a huge offer sheet and restricted free agency (laughs) and did a couple other bad moves like that until the Pistons eventually pulled the Ty Corbin and didn't, like, fire him, but they, like, changed his role a little bit, and then he eventually, like, (laughs) flamed out. But the point was, Jumars on that podcast mentioned to Woj, I don't know how to to put this, but he he understood the mistakes he made with that rebuild, and he kind of said, like, yeah, if I could go back and do it again, I very specifically wouldn't kind of keep trying to have this team win. Instead, I'd I'd have teared it all down and, and figured out a better way to rebuild. So... If nothing else, it's uh, it seems like he learned from his mistakes, and that's not to say he wouldn't make the same mistakes here again. But um, that did make me like hearing that on the podcast did make me feel more comfortable about Joe Dumars, where you know he he realizes he made one mistake here and it cost him his job. Maybe he'll be a little bit smarter this time and not make the same mistakes again. Uh, when I think of the downfall, I think of that Allen Iverson experiment with the Pistons. That was weird. Mm-hmm. Um, which. In some ways, if I remember, I don't remember what year that was exactly. In some ways, I don't entirely blame it on Dumars because I want to say Billups was on the way out anyway. And the team responded terribly to Iverson, which Iverson wasn't the easiest teammate. 
But at the same time, just because they were a bunch of veteran guys and just because they lost the leader of that team didn't mean they had to give up when he was gone. I just always thought that was interesting. I don't know if you guys remember the situation all that much, but it's always stuck out to me. Yeah, I just don't think it ever, like, has it ever worked when a team is clearly over the hill and and don't have it anymore and instead of tearing it all down you try and like put band-aids on like training for an over the hill iverson or go out and signing ben gore into a huge opportunity i feel like that never works like you always have to kind of blow it all up and start from the beginning again i guess the closest i can think of and it's not the same situation exactly is like the way the spurs are able to seamlessly go from david robinson as leader to tim duncan as leader to yeah that's a good uh, point um that's close but that's even that was through the kind draft, of, though, too. Like, they got lucky and got Duncan through the draft. I think it'd be different if they had to work through free agency the oh, yeah. time. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a certain amount of luck to any success in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And that's why the Kings don't get any, because good things don't happen to us. Until now. <laughs> when guys fall to us, it's Thomas Robinson, and we draft him over Damian Lillard. Or Ben McElmore, another famous falling, falling draft pick. That's gonna be the, that's the only thing I'm gonna talk about in every episode is all the bad draft picks. So I hope you guys like that. I think that's all I did. <laughs> all right, before we get into free agency, do you guys have any lingering thoughts from the last week of summer league at all, or just been more of the same? Um, yeah, well, I got. I'll throw one more thing out there that I heard at summer league. Uh, just to my final thought on the Harry Giles stuff. Uh, someone told me uh, I can't confirm it, but but sources say that if the wedding had been in Sacramento, that they would have brought Harry, that Harry would have made an appearance. So that would have been really cool. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Was he invited, though? Oh, I definitely invited him. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh, oh, I was yeah. say, is he going to Owen Wilson? Or... Owen Wilson's from Wedding Crashers, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that would have been pretty rad. But, um, yeah, that's about it. And then, you know, I can talk a little bit about you know, summer league. I I think that maybe it's worth talking about Wang and Gabriel a little bit. Which I I thought that he showed really nicely um, here in Sacramento. And yeah, Kyle Guy is a, a really nice story. And I hope that everyone's read Blake Ellington's piece on him because that was really fascinating. Uh, Richard, you would know better than anyone else, I guess, because you watched Wang and Gabriel in Stockton. But from the outside, I I watched zero Stockton Kings games last year. But it sounded like he he wasn't great in Stockton last year, and I think through four summer league games I've watched, he's looked he's looked fantastic. So have you have you seen like an improvement there, or is this just a, a better suited play style for him for whatever the summer league team is doing? I think that he's improved a lot. Uh, I know I, I watched a lot of those early games. I was down in Stockton for a lot of the early uh, games of that season. Didn't go to many of them in the second half, but uh, Wenyan definitely struggled. Early on, he was being played at the five almost exclusively. And my feeling is that he's he's a power forward. He's a stretch four, really. Um, so, you know, a big part of what the Kings are going to need from him is a shot, uh, a smooth shot from the outside. And he's really developed that. Uh, by the time that I stopped going to uh, the majority of the games, he was not shooting well at all. Uh, he was down in the low 30s. Uh, percentage wise and yeah by the by the end of the season he brought his number up to 37 percent. so he actually hit 37 percent on the season in Stockton which means that he's probably he probably really picked it up toward the end of the year Uh, and the volume is pretty okay there I think he attempted about three per game Uh, so he turned that around and then we've seen it this week uh, three for five from three a couple nights ago against China in Las Vegas so 
Yeah, I mean, that's kind of my hopes for him is that he can kind of fill the elites' role when his contract is up. Uh, that would be big to me to take a guy that was undrafted uh, to bring him through Stockton, develop him into an end of rotation player. That's that would feel like a, a win for me. Yeah, I know the the thing I really liked about Wenyan Gabriel um, again, having not watched him at all in Stockton, but in summer league last year, uh, the thing that stood out and the thing that you know I know Bryant West talked about um, when he was at Kentucky was his defense. And now that the three-point shot's really coming around, if you can get kind of like a, a three and D four out of William Gabriel, like you said, an undrafted player, that's a, a huge win for the Kings. And shout out to their, you know, scouting department and Vlade if that does all work out. Because it's it's hard to find those guys, the diamonds in the rough like that. Yeah, absolutely. And then Kyle Guy uh, has been shooting really well as, as well. And I'm really impressed by his movement off ball, his fearlessness, uh, the way he runs through screens, the way he... Just his effort is intense. The size is probably an issue. If he's going to be a, a two-guard or if he's going to be played at the two, I don't see him holding up against most NBA twos. Uh, it's going to take a year in, in the gym to to build up some strength. But, but yeah, I love the story on him. And, you know, I mentioned fearlessness. And he's also going, you know, he's been pretty fearless in talking about his struggles with anxiety uh, on and off the court. Um, again, I'll plug that Blake Ellington piece, but... Uh, he, I know that Blake sat down with him and talked to him about how Kyle wants to be an advocate for mental health uh, in the league. And uh, he mentioned, uh, I believe, Kevin Love as an example. And DeMar DeRozan, I know, talks about that stuff, too. And that's something that I just really like him as a as a person, you know. And I, I think that guys like that, if they're fringe NBA players uh, and they're also kind of doing the right things off the court, I'm, I'm excited to have him on a two-way as well. Yeah, Kyle Guy, to me, kind of looks NBA ready already as an off ball too, but I don't know what else he could do. And I think his size is, is pretty limiting for him. But uh, again, it's only been four summer league games, so it's hard to tell, but his offense off the ball shooting and cutting and, and moving off screens has been something that you can see like in an NBA game easily. But I, I just worry, like he looks really small for an NBA too. Um, it doesn't really bother him in summer league, but uh, seeing him on a two ways, I mean, that's fine. It's, I don't know how likely it is that guys who are actually drafted in the second round get put on two-way contracts, but if the Kings were able to convince him to take that instead of, I don't know what his other options would be, but getting Kyle Guy on a two-way and then Wenyan Gabriel, who's on uh, his second year of his two-year two-way he signed last summer, um, those are your two-way contract players for the Kings this year, and those are both solid moves in my mind. So I realized last week after Tony and I and Sanjesh did our podcast that the infamous Justin James pick was not even mentioned by name once. And we had watched him in a summer league game by now, but now there's been a few more and I'm not sure unless I forced it like I am now, if we would have mentioned him at all, what do you guys think of that pick so far? You know, I think he looks all right in transition. Uh, he's got more length and size than guy, uh, but the shot has been way off and, you know, finishing at the rim, he's been off. Uh, I, know, I know that he, I think his first attempt, he kind of laid something up a little bit lazy, not really ready for the NBA competition, and it got rejected. And the next uh, time down the court, he he went up and dunked it. So he's making adjustments. You know, I, I think he was something like four for 20 in, in Sacramento. So not great, but, you know, the effort's there. Uh, I can see the defensive upside. Uh, I think he moves well in transition, but 
aside from that, I'm a little bit underwhelmed with the pick. Yeah, it's. I don't even know if underwhelms. I'm whelmed with it. I I don't have expectations, especially when we have three second-round picks. You'd be ridiculous to think all three are going to be NBA players. We probably could have gotten him undrafted if every single person who talked about it is to be believed. And Bull Bull or something probably would have been a little more exciting. But, you know, who knows? Time will tell. But, yeah, it's um, I'm pretty indifferent on him right now. You know who he kind of reminds me of is... Uh... Ray McCallum, where, like, he looks like he's a professional basketball player. Like, he can do all the things on the court. He can dribble, and he, his jump shot looks okay. And like Richard said, his effort's pretty good. His defense is kind of solid. Uh, the production hasn't totally been there. And I can kind of see him having, like, a Ray McCallum-type career where he kind of he's on the roster for a year, and then maybe he's in the, you know, he's on a two-way, and then he kind of bounces around a little bit because he's he, he's kind of he has competent basketball skills. But nothing has really stood out where you can say, like, like how Kyle Guy's shooting and movement off the ball has stood out. And William Gabriel's ability to stretch the floor with size and play a little defense has stood out. Nothing from Justin James yet has really stood out. But what I'm interested to see uh, kind of off the court from him is how the Kings handle his contract. Because like we said, they used up both their two ways. The only way you're keeping Justin James around is if you give him a guaranteed contract. I'm not sure he's totally earned that yet. Again, it's only been four games. Maybe he will. But I guess for Justin James, the more than you know what he does on the court, I'm interested to see how the Kings, uh, what they do with him and his contract for next season. Yeah, and he's a guard, and it's just harder. Like we were talking about, Gabriel didn't look that great last year. Um, big men can do that, where they don't look that great, and then all of a sudden they are. Like King saw Hassan Whiteside. And that wasn't a $20 million contract guy. Now, we could argue that the current one isn't a $20 million contract, a year contract guy. But he is a story of someone who was not good enough for the NBA and came back and was good enough not only for the NBA, to, but to be a starter. And there aren't too many stories of guards like that. Like, even Jeremy Lin's story was more a story of opportunity than, like, him being too bad for the NBA than coming in. And if someone just starts out not good enough for the NBA at all as a guard, I struggle to think they're ever going to make it in the NBA as a guard. I mean, that seems pretty fair. Um, I'm trying to think of guys right now that that may have made that jump, and it's hard to do. I, I will say I'll give him, you know, like you said, I'm. I think that whelmed is correct. Like I, I didn't have high expectations either. So I think one thing to note is he's. The jump for him in competition is pretty significant. Even Kyle Guy going through the tournament and, you know, even Wenyon coming from Kentucky, uh, it's even a different world for a guy from Wyoming, right? So yeah. he's yeah he's coming into the California Classic and playing against guys that were in the rotation last year for Miami and Golden State. And now I'm blanking on the other team, the Lakers, of course, who could forget. But <laughs> that's a that's a rough jump. Uh, it, if you're playing like the mountain in the Mountain West division of the NCAA, like that's that's a pretty big jump. From a King standpoint, less than a Justin James standpoint, it was a second round pick. I'm glad. I'd rather us swing for the fences on a Justin James because maybe he's a diamond in the rough there than swing for the fences for a Papianis in the lottery. I think I think there is wiggle room to like kind of take that weird pick in the second round because. At the end of the day, there's undrafted guys who have been stars or second rounders who have been stars, all that. 
it's that point in the draft where every team passed on someone and there probably was a reason, even if they look stupid. And same goes for guys who you haven't necessarily heard of. I'm not going to get mad at someone for trying to pick that guy trying to get the next. I shudder to say his name, Draymond Green or someone else who's a second round pick. Yeah, I mean, there were guys that I would have rather had there, but it, like, I don't know, we're talking about second round picks in a, in a fairly <laughs> weak draft, so it's hard to be too critical. But, like, if you're going to swing for the fences, me, I'd rather swing on, like, a bull bull than a yeah. Justin James. But, you know, whatever. If that's who they prefer, that's who they prefer. Yep. It, yeah, I wanted bull bull, but I, it's also, what he was picked, what, 40-something? Yeah, he went shot yeah. after. Yeah, I think like 42 or something like that. Yeah, and I got to think of 42 teams, not 42 teams, but 42 picks passed. That medical report must be awful. Yeah. Uh, in some ways, the Nuggets are a perfect situation for him because – they don't need him to succeed right away. But like in this weird scenario where Michael Porter Jr. and him both succeed, it's just going to be unfair. But it's probably a great situation for both of them. Yeah, they can rehab together. I think, didn't, yeah. didn't uh, Porter Jr. get another injury recently? Like another surgery or something? Yeah. He sprained a knee. Oh, is it just a sprain? Still, man, yeah. that guy's got to get on the court. That sucks. Yeah, I got, uh, I got some some friends that are Denver uh, Denver fans, and they're like telling me how great uh, Denver's starting lineup is going to be, and they're including MPJ in the starting lineup, and I'm like, dude, you can't just do that yet. Like, yeah. you can't just throw him in at starting at the starting small forward position and be like, he's he's a really good player yet. I, I mean, I, the potential, I get it, but he's not good. You can't just count him in right now. Yeah, it's it's sad. Um, it's always sad to see someone get that injury before they're able to make an impact on the league, but hopefully he can be a fun story. Even if he starts out as their 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th man off the bench, if he can just get on the NBA court and ease into it and he doesn't have to go to a situation where he's thrown into the lion's den, I hope he's the next fun story of a guy who took a couple of years to get on the court but ended up having a good career. Uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about really was just we talked about the Kings free agents last week. I don't have we signed anyone since then? No, I think we went through them all. I think Holmes was the most recent one. And I'm yeah, sure that's what I was thinking. We still haven't filled what we presume will be like one more small free agent signing, whether it's Brewer or something else. But I was thinking of talking about free agency through the lens of the Kings, but from other teams. How we think the Kings fared by how other teams have done in free agency. Start with Tony. What are your thoughts on that? The West is so tough. Like, that's the thing. I hope Kings fans that are... I, I, I'll, I don't know. I'll put it this way. I, I ran a poll, I think it was before free agency started, uh, about how, you know, if you... No, I th actually, no, it wasn't me. It was Carmichael Dave, and I was tweeting it a lot, about uh, fans who are expecting the playoffs next season based on what they did or didn't do in free agency. And uh, I think it was over half of Kings fans expect this team to make the playoffs next year. And that's kind of what we're talking about here, really, right? Is like how many teams in the Western Conference that were above us are will be below us next year, and how many teams can the Kings leapfrog? And, I mean, it's going to be really tight again. They're going to be fighting in that 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 seed range. Um, it's good that Oklahoma City seems to be blowing it up. It's good that the Portland Trailblazers got a little bit worse. On the downside, you know, the Lakers are going to be a playoff team. The Clippers are going to be a playoff team again. The Pelicans are going to be better. I don't think they'll be a playoff team. The Dallas Mavericks are going to be better. The Phoenix Suns are going to be better. Those last three teams, I don't think they'd be better than the Kings. 
But I think it's at least going to be a conversation. And if the Kings have an injury or if those or if Zion's incredible, I could see them flipping. I don't think it's likely, but I don't think it's, you know, out of the realm of possibility. So my thoughts are the West is still super, super tough. And that despite me being very high on what the Kings did in free agency, I think we have grades coming out on Sacktown Royalty today. And I gave uh, Vlade an A for what he did. And I, and I stand by that grade. I love the role players they brought in um, around the rookies. I like that strategy. And I think Vlade picked the right guys. I think all the veterans the Kings signed will help the young players be the best version of the young players that they can be. But I also think it's still very early for those guys. Uh, De'Aaron Fox, Marvin Bagley, who are the two players the Kings hope will be their cornerstones, their all-stars in a, in a perfect world, are still probably... A couple of years away, like De'Aaron Fox maybe has an outside shot at an all-star spot, but there's so many good guards in the West, I, I wouldn't say that's likely. And Marvin Bagley is probably a couple of years away from, from all-star status. So, you know, I don't know if they'll make the playoffs. I don't think the, the window, their window is right now. It could be if, if those players develop, it could be. But it's not going to be because they had an incredible, like they didn't add incredible talent like some of those other teams did, like the, like the Lakers did or the Clippers did. So it's gonna be it's gonna be tight, is I guess my my way to put it. I, I wouldn't say they're a lock for sure. And I guess if I had to say right now, do they make the playoffs or do they don't? Do they not? Uh, just because I'm maybe pessimistic and I'm used to being disappointed, I would say they're they're probably like I think they'll be a ninth seed again. I mean, I hate to say it, but I I do think there are still eight teams in the West that are are more likely to be better than them than than not likely. Yeah, and at the end of the day, I think that we need to worry about. The Kings' growth. For the Kings to be as good as we want them to be, it can't just be our eight teams better than us. We need to have faith that the Kings will get it done regardless of what other teams do. So we still need to worry about ourselves more so than there being eight other playoff teams, which at the end of the day, that's what you want. But at the same time, continue with your growth. Hope that it gets you into the playoffs. But if they win 49 games and miss the playoffs next year, it doesn't mean the season was a failure. Hopefully they build off that, and the next year they're 50-some-odd wins, and they don't just have to worry about eight teams being better. At that point, they can start worrying about getting better than the top tier of the playoff teams. I think you put it better. You kind of said what I was trying to say, which is the Kings could be good enough to be a playoff team and still not be a playoff team. That's how good the West is. Yeah, and there will be a, there will be other unforeseen things that happen. There will be trades that make teams worse. There will be there will probably be teams if history says anything that fall off. Now whether they fall off the playoff spectrum, that's a different story. But historically, there's always teams who just fall off for whatever reason that's not seen uh, going into the season. You got to think the Spurs are going to stop making it sometime, but they're also coached by Pop, so you can't bet on that. Yeah, I'm trying to think who else is. Yeah, I have the same concerns in this. I, I I think that we all have them in the same level. Like Tony said, like seven to eleven feels like the realistic range. I think that if we're talking about teams that feel like they've got an advantage on the Kings, you go Clippers, Jazz, Nuggets, Rockets, Lakers, Warriors. You've already you're already at six there, and it's like it seems hard to imagine those teams falling out. Then uh, Trailblazers, Spurs, those also feel like playoff teams in a lot of ways so that's eight and and it gets really tough but at the same time uh teams like you know if if Harden or LeBron or Curry were to get hurt I think that opens up a door uh the Warriors in particular feel really vulnerable um you know if Curry rolls an ankle and misses 30 games is that a playoff team I don't know um and like 
you know, like Tony mentioned, I think I think Portland did get a little bit worse. Uh, I I think that missing Nurkic, Nurkic this year that's going to matter to them, and who knows what Whiteside's going to do in Portland? He could be a disaster, you know. So yeah, and, and then this rising tide in the West could could be it could finally be the year that Popovich doesn't get it done with a bunch of you know random guys like a bunch of guys that don't feel like all-stars. So I don't know. I, I One thing that I had mentioned in, uh, over on the King's Pulse podcast that I do, you know, I, I think that there's a world where Darren Fox and Marvin Bagley are better than DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge. Does that, I mean, that's happening soon, eventually. Do you think that's, do you think that's a crazy thing to say that it could happen this year? I don't think it's crazy. I It might be a little early, but I think... It's not safe to say, but it's not ridiculous to say they will eventually, even if it's not right away. I think Fox over DeRozan is could happen as soon as this year. As far like Bagley getting to Lamarcus Aldridge level would be fantastic because I thought Aldridge had a really good year last year. But yeah, definitely. Well, again, not definitely, but we're all assuming, and and the Kings are definitely assuming that they will be eventually. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that Aldridge is he puts up some gaudy numbers, but I I thought that he had a down year. Maybe I'm. I didn't watch a ton of Spurs, but that was my perception. And then, yeah, you know, I, I just think that, like you've both mentioned, like Brad, like you, you kind of got to worry more about yourself when it comes down to it. Because if the Kings are going to succeed, they're going to succeed based on the internal improvements on their own roster. So guys, like I mean, we could really say this whole team because everyone really is young enough to to take steps forward. Uh, even Buddy, even the weirdly, <laughs> even the continually aging. Uh, yeah. Buddy Hield, like he feels He's like he can... 50 now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously, there, well, there's a portrait of him getting younger <laughs> somewhere, right? Uh, that I think that this team could absolutely take steps, and I think that the free agent signings were really to fill in the cracks uh, in this in this team's strengths and weaknesses. So I'm I'm pretty excited, and I think that they do have the edge over teams like Dallas and New Orleans, who are coming up behind them i think that they're a step ahead of them and that's that's a good thing yeah i think i think those will be teams in a couple years we have to worry about but like dallas there's still a huge question mark about porzingis on multiple levels so i i don't put them i've seen people put them on the king's level i don't even know if i put them on that tier yet i could regret saying this but i i just think they have another year there i feel like their best case scenario is the king's last year so if the king's improve at all i think that's what the mavericks would do just because Overall, I'm still not a huge fan of their roster, and I just think I think the Pelicans will be great in a couple of years, but they're going to be one of those fun young teams that still probably doesn't win tons of games. I hope so. No, yeah, I totally agree. And I'll also say that if it's you know if this isn't the year, it does feel like we're going in the right direction. The team is turning upwards, and I don't think that's going to stop when Fox and Bagley are as young as they are. It feels like a lot of these teams are are pretty old, you know. Chris Paul's thirty four, LeBron's thirty four. Like those guys are going to get worse. Like that's just how that works, you know. By all the All Star break, Draymond and Steph are going to be thirty two and thirty, something like that. So, you know, I, I think that the Kings are going to continue to grow. And one thing that I'm going to have to tweet this out later, but I, I I went and looked at future picks after these big moves that have been made. Uh, the Warriors gave up a first, right, some somewhere in that D'Lo trade, I believe. And then the Lakers obviously gave up uh, some picks to uh, to grab Anthony Davis. And then the Clippers just gave away five 
first round picks. So, you know, I think over the next five years, the Kings have five firsts and 10 second rounders. <laughs> and then if you, and then I, I think, yeah, the Warriors and Clippers only have three of those five first rounders and very few seconds. And then uh, Lakers have four. So, I mean, you know, there's an advantage there. It's a, yeah. it's a pretty significant advantage going forward. I'm kind of restating, but I do think the Kings have a foot up on the other young teams right now. It doesn't mean in three years the Kings will have a foot up on the Mavs and Pelicans. But right now they have a year of development where they sniffed the playoffs. And I think that's huge. I, I don't see the other teams just going immediately into the playoffs. I could be wrong on that. But I think they have to take advantage of that right now. And like you said, some of these teams will age out other things. The Rockets are an interesting team to me in that the Harden tenure has always been inconsistent. So they were pretty dominant last season. This year they were they started out bad, but they got dominant. But they're a team that I think when they drop off, it will be quickly. Maury has always had a knack for shooting from the hip when something goes wrong. So the difference between the Rockets being quote-unquote contenders, which I don't think they are, and them all of a sudden blowing it up, maybe not completely, maybe keeping Harden, but trying to blow it up to get a team around him, could be pretty quick. Right, and then there's all that talk about their locker room issues with, what is it, Chris Paul is making fun of James Harden's man boobs or whatever? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anything about that, but it does seem like it's not the happiest place in the world. Yeah, I, I just, I never believed in Harden and Chris Paul. They seemed like two people just destined to not like each other. I don't, uh, I'm not jealous of their Chris Paul contract either. Like you guys said, the time will come around on the Houston Rockets, I think, uh, um, fairly quickly. Unless it, unless it was like the Wizards with that terrible John Wall contract. Do you see anybody taking Chris Paul's contract? I wouldn't take it. I mean, maybe I if you're Phoenix it, and you're yeah. desperate and you're Robert Sarver and you don't make <clears throat> smart moves anyway. I mean, maybe something like that happens, but... Yeah. I don't, but Maury is tricky. I mean, I'll give Maury credit for even getting in the Jimmy Butler sweepstakes. If he if he was, I know he he wanted to be. But he can he's pretty creative when it comes to making cap moves and getting out of contracts. So I I guess never say never. But it certainly seems hard to move uh, now. I mean, I I think we saw reports that no one like that they put it really put him out there and that no one was interested. As as the contract winds down in the last couple of years it's probably tradable but right now i just don't know why anyone would do that and he's what 35 36 and he's never healthy i mean he's missed the playoffs yeah. two years in a row it's like you can't if you can't count on him i don't know it's tough right yeah. the health is what really gets you because we're, we're looking at maybe russell Rus what uh, excuse me russell westbrook being traded right now uh being shopped around potentially and chris paul is like that but he can't stay on the court and so if if they're having you know, maybe so maybe the Thunder get a first rounder and a young piece for Russell, but that still feels like hard to figure out. And so, yeah. add three years to four years to that, like a, add four years to Russell Westbrook and give him a hamstring issue that's kept him out of the playoffs. Yeah, I, I can't imagine someone really valuing that contract. Yeah, and with Ru Russell Westbrook, there's all the critiques of him, but he's still a good player, and he's like you said, he might even be hard to trade. So. That Chris Paul, that that might go down as a much worse contract than we thought it would be when he signed it. The Kings need that from teams, though. They need these teams oh, yeah. that have been like elite Western Conference teams to start shooting themselves in the foot a little bit. And I think we're starting to see it. Like, you know, it's unfortunate what happened to the Warriors, but the Kings needed something to happen with that team. 
uh, in terms of like Durant leaving and, you know, they needed, they need the Houston Rockets to overpay Chris Paul. So when they're ready to go, they'll be out of the playoffs. Uh, they needed Russell, Russell Westbrook to get overpaid too. So, you know, like we're seeing now when, when players start leaving that team, they'll be out of the playoffs. Um, hopefully like, I don't know, hopefully the little Marcus Aldridge contract looks bad in a couple of years too. And those, those guys move down. So I'll take it. I'll take all your bad contracts, Western conference playoff teams. I, I kind of said this earlier, but the Rockets are a dark horse for me for a team who could fall out of the playoff picture. I'm not saying they're going to. They could have a great year, too. They're weird. But they're a dark horse for me on that front. Because Harden, he's not a stranger to missing the playoffs in weird years. That last year, Kevin McHale was there. And uh, what's-his-face? Well, he's not with Memphis anymore. Bickerstaff. He's had some rough goes. He's not shooing if things are going wrong. I was just going to say, I totally agree. Um, a lot of these teams are very vulnerable. If if their superstar misses time, that's a real issue. And and you can say that about any team being vulnerable to injury, but really the deeper teams, like the Clippers and honestly the Kings, you if one guy misses time, there's there's someone that can step up. But, I mean, imagine that, that Rockets team, when, if Harden misses even, even a couple of weeks. That team is not winning very many games. No, they looked terrible with him at the start of last year. They were among the bottom for, like, November, weren't they? Yeah, they got off to a rough start. I was just going to say, Harden has been so durable in his career. Like, I was just looking up his, his numbers now. I think he, he's played more than 70 games in every single year but one. And in most of those seasons, he's played high 70s to uh, the full 82. And, uh, you know, you never root for injuries, but all the, the, game, the regular season games he's played and They've been a deep playoff team for a long time. Like, uh, you know, I'm not obviously don't want him to get hurt, but if he did get hurt, that team is not making the playoffs without him. Yeah. Was the year he didn't play 70? Was he in the league yet for the lockout? That might have been the lockout year. You could be right. That was uh, uh, 11, 2011, 12. I don't remember when the lockout was. Um, I believe that was the lockout that could year. Be it. But, but yeah, he's, so he's, you know, he never misses time. And that's a good yeah. thing. But also, you know, we said that about LeBron James up until this year. So it's, you know, the miles add up eventually. Yeah, which still, LeBron's had one, that was his 16th year, right? Yeah. And he, and he still played, or he probably would have played like 60-some-odd games if they didn't tank the last however long they tanked. Yeah, he could have right. come back. Yeah. Right, right. But I do think it's like a legitimate discussion point is LeBron's durability. I think he's third in all-time minutes played now yeah. in NBA history. Like, people act like... I, I know that he's a god. Like I know that he's a god amongst men, uh, and like I know that he is one of the truly, truly gifted players. Like his his body will break down slower than the average person, like the average player by a long shot. But people act like it's not like it's a lock for him to be, you know, playing seventy five games and not to lose a step. And that's I think that's a little bit ridiculous. Oh, yeah, well, he's he's in his 17th year, but, you know, we've just been watching him for 17 years, and he's ridiculous. And I was even looking at his numbers the other day. We we made it sound like he just came out there, and all of a sudden he was Magic Patrick Ewing. And his numbers were still ridiculous. So I am I kind of err to the side of, until he starts falling off, I'm not going to expect it to happen, just because there's no precedent for him. I think Carl Malone's the closest thing we've gotten to a LeBron who, even when he was in his 17th, 18th years, was still like a legit superstar. Right. Well, at least, you know, I'm not saying it's going to be this year, but at least by the time the Kings are really hitting their full stride, or by the time that Fox and Bagley are in their prime, 
I'm, I can't imagine LeBron will still be even in the league at that point. Yeah. I don't think LeBron's going to stick around if he starts falling apart. I don't see LeBron uh, Paul piercing it. I don't Not know. Weren't there those reports was... that he really wanted to play with the Sun? I could see him waiting it out like one more year. I bet you if he fell off this year, what he would do is retire and then sign with the team his son gets drafted by in three years. Maybe. Is that how far away he is? Three years? I don't know how old. I uh, think they think it's three years. Because I remember there was speculation when he signed the deal that he purposely did four years so he could sign where his son went. That'd be fun. I hope that happens. Yeah, That's, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> there's obviously been a father-son du- father duos who both played in the NBA, but has there ever been... Uh, Ken Griffey Sr., Ken Griffey Jr. situation in the NBA where both were in the league at the same time, and in that case, they were both the same team. But I can't think of it in the NBA. I could be wrong, though. Yeah, no, I don't I don't think so. Is there any big teams we haven't hit on as far as free agent acquisitions? I guess Utah, you know, yeah. they really got stronger. Uh, not like the – they actually didn't add any all-stars, I don't think, but – or at least no one expected to be an all-star in the West now. But – they got stronger, you know. Bogdanovich is a very good player. I think it's, he addresses their need of another scorer, like a 3-4 a that can, you know, put the ball in the hoop. And and Conley is going to be a big upgrade from Rubio in my mind. And with that, I think we just need to go back to the Kings. We've talked about them, but kind of just what we think about this offseason so far. Because my thoughts on it are that even if the Kings had stood pat, Maybe with the one big move being losing Willie Cauley-Stein and had just mediocre signings, I still think they should have gotten better just by the growth of our players. So I don't think we needed a home run massive free agent as fun as that would have been. And all of our guys fit needs that we didn't have last year necessarily. So I think going forward that we're in a good place still. And even if we don't make the playoffs... We are closer than we've been in years, and we have nothing to worry about. What do you guys think about that? Uh, start with Tony. Yeah, I like I said earlier. You know, we did the grades, the STR grades for free agency. I gave uh, gave Lotte an A, and you know, we talked about the players a little bit last week. I think we talked about it a little bit this week too. But my my favorite thing the Kings did with their whole plan this summer was uh, they they brought in role players that would help you know make their young their young players their real core the best players they can be right now and into the future. And most importantly, thanks to, I don't know, we, we usually credit Ken Catanella. I don't know if it's really his, you know, I don't know if the credit really belongs to him or not, but they the, all the contracts they signed, most of them have outs after two years um, or in Ariza's case, an out after one year. So they remained really flexible on the short-term contracts for veteran players. And if the Kings don't make the playoffs, I guess I would say don't be too disappointed because the way the Kings set up free agency this year was, you know, they, they weren't really big game hunting. You know, they didn't get Al Horford. They didn't get Steven Adams. They didn't get Clint Capella. And while that can be disappointing for people, you know, I kind of got rolled up into the Al Horford hype too. But I'm, I'm really pleased with how flexible the Kings are going to remain going forward because, you know, we all hope De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley are awesome, but it's still really early in their careers to go out and sign other players to – you know, max-type long-term contracts, um, like the Al Horford max contract for four years would have been fun, and I, I probably would have been on board if they did that. But you could argue that would be a little bit irresponsible considering where the Kings are in their timeline. But the, the way they did go about things with these 
shorter term flexible contracts with early options to get out of those deals if other different moves come along they're all very movable so I, I just I like the king strategy here of remaining flexible getting good veterans and really hoping that it is the young players that propel this team into the playoffs instead of free agents that they have to go out and sign because that's never really worked out for Sacramento yeah agree with everything said how about you Richard I'm on the same page I, I think Tony said it great I think that Really, the Kings have been betting on Darren Fox as as the the first cornerstone of this franchise, and and then they really put in Bagley as that second piece, and I think that they're absolutely doubling down on that and saying that you know Fox, Buddy, and Bagley are going to be the driving force of this team, and now they've got two really quality support players in Barnes and Deadman to fill out that lineup. I think the bench is deep. I think this team is better than last year. I would be really surprised if they didn't improve. I'd be really surprised if they didn't win more games. And, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised necessarily if they missed the playoffs. But like we saw, I think 48 wins was the mark uh, for the eighth seed last year. So, uh, yeah, if they win 45 games and miss the playoffs, that still feels like a good sign to me. I'm, yeah, there's nothing that... There's nothing for me to, to nitpick here. I, I'm really impressed by the moves that were made, and, and I'm really looking forward to next season. I don't think it's impossible that Fox and Bagley become the players we want them to this year, and the Kings exceed even our best expectations. It's it's going to be a fun year, I think. I'll be very disappointed if there's regression, but I don't see it coming. They definitely uh, passed all of our expectations last year, so another huge leap. You know, yeah, not, not out of the realm of possibility at all. Yep, and I guess my final plea, which will be there until it happens is I think we need to sign one more person and Corey Brewer is still on the market. I still feel like he's the perfect cherry on top to this off season. The veteran guy who will come off the bench who won't demand tons of money, but seems to have a rapport with our young guys and just whether he plays 10 minutes, one game, 20, the other, we will know what we're getting from Corey Brewer in that he's organized chaos. I'll co-sign that. Agreed. I th- I think that's a smart move. I uh, yeah, absolutely. I think they there's a surprising amount of flexibility at the end of this roster with cap space, depending on uh, how they structure the contracts. So they could. I think a, a nice way to do this is you front load all of them as much as you can. So just use that space on front loading those contracts. Let them descend over the next few years, and then you can sign Brewer. I think at the veteran minimum is not. You know, not outrageous. I I, I I would love that. Yeah, and in many ways, um, people, I think people, I loved Iman Shumpert. He was great for our locker room, but people, once we traded him, overrated how important he was to the team. And in many ways, Brewer was a cheaper, less demanding version of what we need, what we liked about Iman Shumpert. And yeah, I, I don't think he'd be a short-term deal, maybe one and one or something, but there's no downside to bring him on, and he fills a need as far as our depth goes. Other than that, I think we're going to call it an episode. Richard, you wanted to plug your podcast. Why don't you give people your little elevator pitch on your podcast? Yeah, King's Pulse podcast. Uh, it's available on all platforms. I, I really am uh, proud of the work that we do. It's uh, myself and Brendan Nunez, uh, and you know I think our the pitch there is that we put out a ton of content. Um, we do at least three episodes a week and we get 
guests from all over the place. We had Blake on yesterday. We have a ton of Sacktown Royalty guys. I think we've had we've pretty much hit for the cycle on on Sacktown Royalty guys. Uh, other There's than one, you, other than you, Brad. There. Yeah. There's one very. I mean, <laughs> who I have invited on numerous yeah. times. I loved love to have you on. Uh, like, but we do also, you hit for the cycle with the Justice League if you haven't had Batman on? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, let me ask you now, right here. Will you come on our podcast, Brad? No, no. <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course. But uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, Tim's on there a lot, and uh, we had uh, we also get some some good guys uh, reported. We had Jason Jones was on there. Where uh, James Ham is going to be coming on when he gets back from vacation and. Uh, just we we really try to bring as much content as possible to you guys, and we we love uh, interaction as well. So we do a lot of Q and As. We we're the official podcast of Kings Reddit too. So uh, pop over to r slash Kings, and you can see our uh, Q and A stuff posted at the top there, pinned to the top. And yeah, so so just g- give us a give us a listen and tweet at us if you got any questions. We'll answer them. Awesome. Do you have anything to promote, Tony? Nope. <laughs> Awesome. Do you want to elaborate on that at all? Nope. Okay, cool. Thanks for coming on. It's strange to have someone go from host to guest within one week of each other, but I appreciate you coming on, especially since there were some technical glitches that would have made it a big pain for me. So, yeah, I appreciate that. That's what you can promote, that you saved me today. Anytime, Brad. Uh, I yeah. appreciate the uh, the opportunity to uh, come be your first guest, or one of your first guests. Yep, and... I said this off the air, but Tony has an open welcome to whatever episode he wants. Um, I've already reached out to a couple people for some fun future episodes. Looking forward to this. This has been a fun first episode, technical glitches and all. And I appreciate you guys coming on the show. What's your Twitter handle, Tony? At Tony Subterris. Um, you probably won't be able to spell it, but that's that's okay. And then, yeah, I I was about to say that, but I didn't want to have to spell it. And then, Richard, you are at Ivanowski NBA. Is that it? Also, probably won't be able to spell it, but uh, yeah, you can track it down. <laughs> well, if you can't spell their names, I'm at the real Brad G. You should be able to spell that one. So just follow me three times if you can't um, follow either of them. All right, thanks for coming on. Thanks for listening to the Sacktown Royalty Show. I will talk to you guys next week. Later, Brad. Have a good one. Hello, guys. Uh, We had an exciting development after we stopped recording in that we got Richard's side of the Harry Giles story, but now we get to hear Kate's side. How are you, Kate? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Um, So Richard gave us a pretty detailed rundown of the whole Harry Giles jersey situation, but it felt wrong not getting your side of it. Like The most important side, right? Yeah, obviously. (laughs) So what was your first reaction when Richard's like, hey, can I wear this jersey to the most important day of our life? Well, he also waited like 10 days before the wedding to actually pick out what he was going to wear. So like I was so stressed out about what he was going to actually wear. I didn't want him to go down the aisle naked. And I was like, honestly, just like get your suit, whatever else you want to wear with it. As long as like I'm not walking down the aisle and you're in like your bathing suit. I I just don't care. Like he got me at like a really stressed out point where I was probably willing to like accept anything at that point. And yeah. so like if, he, if he'd asked me like six months ago when I was more rational, I probably would have said no, but I was super stressed out. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't think those I don't think those other pictures would have gained that traction on Twitter. No, definitely not. <laughs> he says, uh, we were talking about this earlier. You told him ten thousand retweets and he could do that. Um mm-hmm. Did you think that was going to be attainable? Um, I really didn't. I kind of threw it out as like a number. Like, you know, when someone's like, oh, you can have like a bajillion dollars. I was like, yeah, get like 10,000 retweets. And I'm not like a big Twitter person. So I didn't really understand what that meant even. And I I knew like his best tweet before that had gotten like 2,000. So I was like, the chances of it getting to 10,000. I was like, okay. And I, again, I was just trying to speed the process up of like getting his actual suit for the wedding. So I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, 10,000. And I mean, a jersey's probably cheaper. Yeah, it was. It was his suit was definitely more expensive than the jersey. <laughs> <laughs> so, but then all that you had fun, right, with the TV oh, appearances? Yeah, totally. And- I mean, honestly, like it got Wyatt like a lot. Oh, sorry, I call him Wyatt. Um, like a lot more excited about the wedding, and that was for me more exciting because I had been excited about the wedding since I was a little girl. And for him, it was kind of like, okay, we'll do these things that make you happy. Like, oh, you want to, you know, have these flowers? Okay, like that's fine. And this was the first time I saw him genuinely like excited about the actual wedding ceremony. I knew he was excited to marry me, but this was like the first time he was excited about one of the details going into the wedding. So that was exciting to see for me. And that made me happy. And we had fun, like, you know, reading the tweets from other people. And, like, when Harry reached out and, like, wrote a nice tweet to us. And, um, you know, going down and buying the jersey together. And going on Good uh, Good Day Sacramento together. That was all really fun, really nice wedding memories that we'll have forever. So I asked Richard this. And i got to ask you now, is this going to be a running theme throughout your marriage now that... Um, um. If Richard gets so many retweets, you'll name your kid Bogdan Bogdanovich or something like that. Yeah, well, I don't know if he, like, told everybody, but, like, I also used it as, like, a little bit of leverage for some things that I wanted. And so, like, it kind of became like, okay, fine, you get 10,000 retweets, but I also get this and this and this. And so it became, like, a negotiation strategy for us. Like, you know, he wants that thing, but then I also want these other things. So I'm definitely seeing some negotiations in the future. And one of the things that was thrown out was like naming our first child Harry, but I just don't know if Harry, I I know I did throw that out there. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I was going to say, we got two different versions of this story. Yeah. And so I I was like, I don't know if Harry Ivanowski sounds good. Maybe Giles Ivanowski. I don't know, but I really like, I didn't know anything about Harry before this whole tweet thing happened. And so for me, I was like, Oh, I hope this guy is like a good guy. And so I made, Wyatt like show me some of him playing basketball and I was like oh he's really good and then he showed me a little bit like about who he is as a person like Harry's really close with his mom and like he did like a nice Mother's Day thing for his mom and I was like oh this guy is really nice I'm glad that's who Richard picked to wear a jersey of because it could have been anyone oh yeah and Harry Giles is adorable so he, I know. he made the right choice he's so sweet he's <laughs> so so sweet if if Richard hasn't shown you, you have to have him show you the post game interviews with Harry Giles. The couple times he was able to do it because he was just so excited and it was amazing. It was so pure. Yeah, and I had no idea that Harry was like, what is he, nineteen or twenty or something? Yeah. 
Yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, he's just a baby, but he's so tall, he looks older. I know, I, I hate thinking about how much older I am than these guys. <laughs> I know, <laughs> it's really bad. Right. Yeah, but overall it was good, and um, the person I was most worried about telling was my mom, and she actually took it with a lot of grace. I think she was just like, okay, I guess this is my new son-in-law, and this is my lot in life. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, thank, you for, thank you for sharing the story. Any sure. final thoughts on it? Um, no, I would do it again. I would let him do it again. It made for a really fun and it was a really nice moment during the ceremony. And um, it was good. I, I'm happy. If any other brides to be are questioning if their husband should wear a jersey, <laughs> I, I endorse it. Well, congratulations to both Thank of you, you on marriage. Um, yeah. yeah, that Harry Giles jersey, that has to be a good omen for the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And we got Harry's blessing for our wedding. Like, I don't think you can ask for anything more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just a shame he couldn't go down there and be in it. I know that would have been really cool. <laughs> I feel like he. I feel like you could have gotten him too. Well, we said too, like because we were at one point thinking about getting married in the Sacramento area. Like we were like, oh man, if we had decided to get married in Sacramento, we could have had like the whole team come to the wedding. But because it was in Cabo, I think it made it a little bit more limiting <laughs> who could be there. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd go down to Cabo. I know. It was amazing. I highly recommend <laughs> that, too. Destination weddings are amazing. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing the story. I'm sure. glad that it mostly checked out. Mm-hmm. Were, I would have had questions if it was a completely different story. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he, yeah, it was pretty chill. We were good. <laughs> well, once again, congratulations to the both of you. And thank, thank you. Thank you, everybody. For listening to the Sack Kevin Royalty Show. I will talk to you next week.